Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. How are we, how are we doing this morning? You doing pretty well? Yeah, this is a welcome to our one day of winter. I just want to celebrate that with you. Tomorrow to be 85, I'm sure. But it was nice if you got up early this morning. Of course, you all didn't get up early. But if you had, it was really cold and uh, in the 40s, which is crazy, you know. Uh, so uh, anyway, celebrating that. But uh, I want to welcome you. My name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors. I want to welcome you in, whether you're here in the worship center or you over in the ridge, just welcome you in. Also, just one quick announcement is that um, this rooted thing keeps blowing up. And so um, last week, uh, you know, we ran out of uh, books, bags, and so on. So we ordered 250 more in my uh, ministry update letter. I said, when you come on this weekend, you can get more. And I was lying. We, uh, <laughs> we ran out again. Uh, and so we ran out even before last end of the service last night. Um, and so uh, we apologize for that because we recognize that that's a great problem to have. You know, so many people want in on this, but, uh, you know, if you don't have a book, it's frustrating. You keep on trying to get one. So here's what we're going to be doing is that we're going to be sending out today, uh, we're going to be sending out lessons three and four via PDF to the whole congregation. Uh, so if you, if you uh, don't have a book yet, you can follow along with the study. Uh, you can, if you want to, go out afterwards. We're going to be getting more this week. It'd be really helpful if you stop by and pre-register whatever so we know how many more to get for next week. I think we've got to be coming to the end of this thing. But um, anyway, uh, if that's you, sincerest apologies. We're just trying to be good stewards, and we don't want to order like a 1,000 and then have all these books sitting around. And so uh, we thought 250 would be great, and, uh, but it obviously wasn't. So um, anyway, we're going to go into a time of teaching. So uh, as the liar of the congregation, I'll be opening up the word to you today. Uh, so if you want to uh, uh, get inside your program, it's a green and white message note sheet. You want to pull that out. That'll help you follow along. And then I'm going to jump in, and we're going to get going. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here and to be pursuing you as a church. And we thank you for your spirit. And just with the way we sense your spirit on us right now as a congregation, kind of a, a fire by night, a cloud by day, as you're leading us into this journey of, uh, of Rooted. And we just pray that today will be the next step, God, and we would just have a great adventure today. You'd open our eyes to this incredible story, the story of Shalom, and that we would experience it at new levels and be able to find our place better in that story. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, once upon a time... There was a little short person. His name was Bilbo. And he was a hobbit. And in one of his adventures, Bilbo discovered a magical ring of power. And when he was old, he passed it on to his younger nephew. And the nephew soon discovered that that ring had more power than he anticipated. And that there was an evil lord looking for that ring, who if he recaptured the ring would destroy all that was good in their world. And so the younger hobbit took a long and dangerous trip and destroyed the ring, and he saved the world. The end. <laughs> well, today, we are continuing this journey called Rooted, the Rhythm of Relationship. And if you're brand new here, I want to welcome you. It's a great time to be joining us. Uh, and last week, we looked, uh, kicked off the series. We saw a couple big picture truths. We saw that for us as Christ followers, for every single Christ follower, God has an epic vision for our life. And we, and we saw that this vision is not simply for you know, the spiritual elite. It's not simply for pastors or for uh, priests or for popes. This is for every single Christ follower. And by the way, before we jump in too far here, 
I just want to say this, as a church, this whole weekend, I've said this to every, uh, every service, that I just want to put us on high alert for a sense of spiritual warfare right now, that uh, I have really sensed it this week, and I just believe that as we as a church enter into new territory, much like the nation of Israel going and taking the promised land, that this is not just going to roll over and die for us, so that, that we are going to have to take this, and there is going to be increased opposition. You know, any time in our lives where the, the Holy Spirit's calling us to a new level, you can expect the enemy to try to stop that. And I, I believe that's going to happen. It's going to happen in our groups. It's going to try to keep you from going to your small group. It's going to try to keep you from staying on track studying. It's going to, it might come in a million different ways. It might be irritability in one person, uh, health issues in another person. Just, I just want to put this on high alert as a church that I really believe we're entering into a time of opposition. And it's because we're entering in to take the land. And so I want to put you on a high alert. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Uh, that against principalities and powers. And so, so, so it says, so be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might and put on the full armor of God. And at the end of that army, he says, and pray for one another, pray in the Holy Spirit, pray at all times, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, be alert and on guard for all the saints. So I want you to be watching your own life, the lives of those in your life, group, your family, just be on high alert. Uh, don't be surprised if attacks in different forms come because I really believe we're, that we're doing something, we're, we're crossing some important boundaries as a church, and that's going to be resisted. Anyway, so this last week we kicked off the series. We talked about this epic vision God has for every follower of Jesus. We saw it's not just for spiritually, it's for uh, every single person. And I promised you that last week, that this week we would launch into uh, take a deeper look at this vision and the story that makes up this vision. So I want to do that today. And so what I want to do is do a quick flyby of the story that God is telling, the story that God is writing for our race that we, we see recorded in Scripture. So there on your note sheet, you see a section that's called, rooted, the story of Shalom. And so I'm going to call the story today, this big picture story, the story of Shalom. I'm going to break it down into seven chapters, all right? Now, in reality, it's probably a better way to describe this would be like seven books. Like, think of it like the Chronicles of Narnia, because each of these chapters is a, much, is, is a whole story in and of itself. Um, but I'm just going to call them chapters. I might call them books sometimes. We're going to break it down. Now, we're going to be doing a flyby. We don't have a chance to go deep into any one of these, but I think that this will help us if we see how this, this story is structured and laid out. This will help us understand the story as we go through Rooted and also help us find our place in the story. So I'm going to start with these seven chapters, and I'm going to come back at the end and ask two important questions for our lives. So let's jump in. So chapter one. So the story starts with creation, right? Now this is the part of the story that most of us know because uh, many times in our life, we've decided to read through the Bible in a year, and we made it through Genesis. So we understand this is how the story starts, uh, and it starts, the story starts in Genesis 1. We're introduced to this incredible creator who is brilliant and powerful and creative, a creator who loves beauty and order, and everything he does is good. And so we're introduced to this incredible creator who, out of his love, creates an incredible cosmos, a cosmos at current count. We have, we have discovered 100 billion galaxies and counting. And so we're introduced to this creator. Now, here's the thing. In Christian circles throughout, the, throughout church history over the centuries, 
There have been different Christ followers who love Jesus and love his word who will disagree on the best way to understand Genesis 1 and 2. So for example, uh, the seven days of creation, are they seven literal 24-hour days? Are they longer eras of time? Is this whole seven-day uh, format, kind of an ancient literary format to describe who God is and how creation works? And so people who love Jesus have disagreed. We're not really gonna be focusing in on that either today or in our rooted groups. We're more interested in terms of the story of who created, what was created, and why it was created than the, than the how and the when okay, for this study. But anyway, we're introduced to this incredible creator who out of his love creates this incredible cosmos, and the high point of that creation is the creation of the first man, the first woman, to be created in the image of God like the creator, and they're created to rule over the creation for this creator. And so, for example, in, in Genesis 1 there in your note sheet, it says, so God said, let us make human beings in our image, or it's like, like us, and in our likeness, so that they will rule. And put that, put, circle that on your note sheet, that's really big for today, they will rule. It's a big part of this story. They'll rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, and over all the creatures. And so, over this creation, God creates a first king, a first queen, like created like him, and he says, go out and rule this good earth in a good way. And so the story starts in a state of what we would call shalom. So a lot of you know this, but the, the word shalom is a Hebrew word that means peace, often translated peace, but in Hebrew it often has, not always, but often has wider connotations of not just peace in the sense of an absence of conflict, but peace in a sense of wholeness of goodness, of rightness, uh, what's healthy and whole, perfection. And so we, the story starts with a story of shalom. Very quickly, though, we move into chapter two, or book two of this story. And book two, we're going to call that the rebellion. And so when we get to Genesis 3, we see this rebellion, this first king, first queen, created to be like God to rule. They've been given charge over all creation. This is all for you. Enjoy it, love it, rule it, develop it. And they've been given all, but there's one restriction, right? One thing. Now, the specific of what they were not to do doesn't really matter that much. Uh, it could have been many things. But the specific was, there's one thing you cannot do, and that's eat from this fruit, right? And so this was really not so much about the fruit, it was about a choice, it was about a test. Would they trust the creator? Would they trust that he knows them, he loves them, he's looking out for them, he knows what's best? Would they listen and follow? Would they come under his leadership or would they strike out on their own that we believe we can do happiness on our own, we don't need you, we want to be in charge of our, we wanna be our own God. And so they, they strike out in rebellion, and of course, this creator had warned them, if you cut yourself off from the source of all life, which is the creator, then in the same way you cut a rose from the ground, you, you cut it off and you put it in a vase, it's now begin to die. So the warning was, if you rebel and you, against the source of all life, the end result will be death, and of course, that's what they experience on every level. So it wasn't just physical death, it was relational death as their relationship immediately fell apart. It was moral death as they lost their moral north star. It was psychological death, but it was even cosmological death. 
Because as the king and queen over all creation, when the king and queen rebelled, it brought death to their whole reign, their whole realm. And so what we see in chapters 4 through 11 is how this death then begins to work out through every part of nature and culture. And so we, we watch as hatred and bitterness and violence and murder and polygamy and sexual immorality and pride from chapters 4 through 11, idolatry. We watch it begin, this death begin to spread. And that leads us to chapter 3. Now, chapter 3 of this story, I'm calling The Promise. And so in chapter 3, we see that right after the rebellion, and this almost takes you by surprise. If, if you never read it before, it would take you by surprise. The Creator comes, and He holds Him accountable. Judgment is rendered. But also there's a promise, and there's a promise given that from the line of Eve, this very first queen, that from the line of this queen, one day a great deliverer will come who would rescue the race. And in chapters 4 through 11, that promise is not really expanded very much, but when you get to chapter 12 of Genesis, for the first time we're given some specifics. In chapter 12, we're introduced to a man who is raised in modern-day Iraq, who's raised uh, in a very modern pagan city, running water. We know some archaeology. Uh, a very modern pagan city called Ur. And it's very interesting because uh, we know from archaeology the primary god worshipped in Ur was the moon god. And so what's interesting is that hundreds of years later, let's go maybe about a thousand years later, about a thousand years later, Joshua who becomes the leader that leads Israel in the promised land, he's looking back on their history as a nation. And look what he says about Abraham and how he was raised, his family of origin. He says, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, and remember when you see Lord, all caps, that means Yahweh. This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, okay, and his brother Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River in Iraq and worshiped what? Other gods. And so, so Abraham was raised in a pagan context, worshiping uh, perhaps the moon god, other gods. And one day God speaks to Abram and reveals himself and he calls him to follow. He calls him to leave this pagan environment, go to a land that he would show him. And the question is, will he listen and follow? And so the promises that are made to him are there in Genesis 12. He says, I will make you into a great nation. God says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. In other words, you'll become very famous. And you will be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. So on this journey, I will protect you. And then he makes this amazing promise. He said, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, at the time, very murky. No idea what this means. But the promise has been given. And in many ways, the rest of the story of Shalom is the story of this promise and the fulfillment. How God is going to bring, have blessed the whole world through the descendants of this man. And so if you know the story, he does listen, he does follow. And 
He has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, and Jacob's name is later changed to Israel. Israel's family grows to about 70 members, and due to famine, they end up going down to Egypt, where they're eventually enslaved for over 400 years. And after 400 years, uh, God raises up a deliverer, uh, an Israeli man who had been a former Egyptian prince, who goes back and through a series of miracles, rescues the nation, brings them out of slavery, and after three months, they, they land at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God reveals himself and, and invites the nation, uh, this new nation, into a personal relationship with him. It's a sacred relationship, much like marriage that we call in the Bible a covenant. And it's very interesting, when they arrive there, what God says to the people, his vision for their lives. And if you look on your note sheet in Exodus chapter 19, this is what God says. He said, if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, this sacred relationship, you know, I will be your God, you will be my people, that kind of thing, then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession, and all the whole, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me, and I want you to catch it, you will be what? A kingdom of what? Priests. Priest, stop and think about it. What is a priest? A priest is someone who's a mediator. A priest is someone who stands between two, between God and someone else and mediates relationship. He says, my vision is not just that you would be a kingdom, but a kingdom of priests. That you would mediate me to the world and a holy nation. And so I want you to notice how this vision of the garden has never gotten off track. God's vision is going back. We are created to rule. We have created a special relationship, and now he's calling out one people to have a special relationship, maybe a kingdom of priests. Now we move on to chapter four. So eventually, God's promise about this kingdom comes true, and as the, their story, uh, as the nation evolves, eventually they become a kingdom, and they're one of their greatest kings, most famous king is a king named David. And towards the end of, the, of a David's life, David is given a promise by God, and the promise is that, uh, that you will have a son, and this son will be not only a son to you, he'll be a son to me, and his kingdom will never end. And once again, at the time, not super clear how much of that promise is fulfilled by his son Solomon, who goes on to have a great kingdom. How much is being left for later? And what's makes it even muddier is that the nation of Israel from the time of David and Solomon goes into a slow death spiral that ends about 400 years with complete destruction and captivity. So how is this kingdom that's going to go forever going to happen now that it's been completely destroyed? And what's interesting, while this death spiral is happening over 400 years because of their sin and rebellion, there's also an upward trend of prophecy about this coming king that will come from the line of David. And it becomes even more global and cosmological as time goes on. And so when you look, for example, the prophet Isaiah. So he's, Isaiah's writing uh, over 200 years after David, but uh, maybe 150 years before the final destruction of the nation in exile. And he says, um, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So Jesse was David's father. Um, and so this is a way of talking about David. And he says, so, so the, the nation of Israel is like an olive tree. It's going to be cut down. It's going to go into exile. It's going to be destroyed. 
But olive trees will often, in a sense, regenerate as a, a root will, a, a stump will, a new shoot will come up from the root and become a new tree. And so he's talking about a rebirth of this people. So the shoot will, will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit, and the spirit of Yahweh will be upon him. And so this, this Davidic king will be anointed by the spirit in a very powerful way. And the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. With righteousness, he will judge the needy, and with justice, he'll give decisions to the poor of the earth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. And now we're going like to, it's like the, the camera's like pulling back into wide-angle cosmological view. And he says, when this happens, the wolf will lay down with the lamb. In other words, the creation will be healed and restored. The violence of creation will be, we're going back to shalom. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lamb and the yearling together. A little child will lead them, be very safe. And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. This is how the story starts, with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And this is how the story is going to end, with the knowledge of Yahweh filling the earth, shalom restored. And so, of course, how this is going to happen is still murky. In fact, when it gets to the very last chapter of Isaiah, he uses new language in chapters 65 and 66. He's not used before to describe this time when the, the knowledge of God will fill the world. And he calls it a new heaven and a new earth. Kesha, a recreation. The story that starts with shalom, with God created the heavens and the earth, will end with shalom. God will create new heavens and new earth. And so in Isaiah 66, the very last chapter, he says, I will create new heavens, God says, and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And of course, how this comes about, we're not really sure. But when we get to chapter 5, we have the entrance of the king. And so, of course, you can't have a kingdom without the king from the line of David. And so when Jesus comes, uh, he's introduced as Matthew's gospel is from the line of David. His genealogy takes him all the way back to King David. And when he launches his kingdom in the north of Israel, in Galilee, those of you who have been with us this last year as we've done our series Unfiltered on the life of Jesus, we've seen this, that when he launches his ministry in the north of Israel, that his message is the kingdom of the heavens that we just read about. The kingdom of the heavens is very near. And not only did he make this epic claim, but as we've seen, he backed it up with signs and wonders and miracles that were like the first signs of spring. It was like the kingdom, the, the, the first light of dawn of the new kingdom was beginning to rise as the deaf were hearing the, the, the blind were seeing, the lame were leaping for joy, just like the prophets had predicted. And yet the mystery of this was that at the same time the kingdom was dawning, the king continued to talk privately to his followers about his impending death. And he was tapping into another stream of prophecy that they weren't really in touch with, back especially in Isaiah, that prophesied about this coming servant of Yahweh 
who would die for the sins of the nation. And he insisted that he, in order for this kingdom to come, the king had to die. It was extremely confusing to them. But after his resurrection, it all began to make sense as they began to understand that this rebellion of the race, the rebellion of the nation of Israel, it had to be there. There had to come a great deliverer who would die the death that we deserve in order that he could rise to life to begin the start of the new creation in his own life and body. And so this became the message of the early church that through the death of the king, it is possible to die with him to our old life, rise with him, and enter a transformation process of resurrection life by the power of his spirit where we are being transformed in regaining the image of God that we lost so that we can be a nation of priests again. And so they began to share that message that the kingdom was coming as prophesied by Isaiah, but the way you entered it was by sharing the death and the resurrection of our representative Messiah and becoming a part of his story that we could be part of the new creation that was coming. And that leads to chapter 6. And chapter 6 is the new people. And this was one of the most shocking parts of the story. It was one of the most surprised, you know, you're watching a movie and you never saw that. Uh, for the early followers of Jesus were all Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. He was a Jewish Messiah. For the early followers of Jesus, as they're telling this story, it's their story. It's not the story of the Gentiles. Well, it is their story, but they play a really bad part in the story. They get destroyed in the story. They're like the orcs, you know? Uh, the, it's not going to end well for them. But the funniest thing happened as the message of Jesus is spreading throughout the Roman Empire, Gentiles begin responding and say, we want to be part of that story. We, we want to enter that story. We want to have shalom with God. We want to be forgiven. We want to experience the resurrection life we see you experience. We want to be transformed. We want to be part of the new creation that's coming. And the initial response of the Jewish leaders, even Peter, the apostle Peter, was, sorry, that's not your story. It's our story. Find your own story. And God began to reveal, no, no, no. That is the story. I've just been holding out on you. <laughs> but this is how the blessing of Abraham is going to come to the whole world. Through the Jewish Messiah. And so there was a time and a place I had to put a wall around that nation. I had to put a wall around them. I had to put laws around them to keep them separate. So that I could teach them about me and so that I could create a way for this great deliverer to come. He says, but those walls were temporary. And now, because of Messiah, those walls are being broken down. And this was the plan all along, to create one new people made of both Jew and Gentile who will reign forever as priests in the coming kingdom. And Paul, the apostle Paul, is very clear in this. In Ephesians 3, he says, this was not revealed in the past. 
but God is revealing it now. And look what he says in Ephesians chapter 3. He says this mystery, uh, Paul uses the term mystery to describe something that was once hidden, but now has been revealed. And so he says this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Messiah. Remember, Christ means Messiah, in Messiah, Jesus. In the previous chapter, look what he says. Remember, oh, sorry, you have to turn the page. <laughs> By the 11 o'clock, I got this down. All right. And then I usually have to wait for the slow ones over here. All right. Um, so, sorry, sorry. No, it's my all right. Uh, all right, so Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, um, this look what Paul says. He's writing to Gentile followers of Jesus in the ancient city of Ephesus in, in modern-day Turkey. And he says to them, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, he's writing to Gentiles by birth, that you were separate from Messiah. I mean, you were outside the circle. Uh, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were without hope and without God. But now in Messiah Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our what? Our peace, our shalom. He's broken it down. You're no longer separate from the God of Israel. You're no longer separate from the people of Israel. God is creating one new body, one new people to rule with him forever. Do you understand this? That as followers of Jesus, we will be the inhabitants and the only inhabitants of the new creation that's coming. We are the new humanity. It's our story. And look what he says. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two into one, Jews and Gentiles. He's destroyed the barrier, which was the, the law, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself what? One new humanity. A new, a new people for a new creation. In the same way that he created the first creation and then created the king and queen to rule, so for us, he's creating a new creation and we're the new people to rule, serve as priests in that new creation. And so he says, thus making peace, he made, uh, he made the one new humanity out of the two, Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace in one body to re reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death our hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, Jews, for through him we both have access the same way by one spirit. And so what happens when a man or woman comes to Jesus, it's not just our vertical relationship with God is restored. We enter into a new horizontal relationship with all other Messiah followers. And we join with him. In the Old Testament, the servant of Yahweh in Isaiah was called the light to the Gentiles, the light of the world. And we become part of his mission to bring the kingdom of the heavens to earth and to be the light of the world and to restore shalom to a fallen world until he returns. And that leads to chapter 7. And chapter 7 is new creation. 
So the story that starts in chapter 1 with creation and shalom, it ends with new creation and shalom in chapter 7. And so watch this language. Look how John describes this final scene in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, that describes the new world that's coming. He says, then I saw, putting in quotes, I saw what? A new heaven and a new earth. He's quoting Isaiah. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. The story that starts with God walking with us in the garden ends with us living with God in the city. This has been his vision all along. And what did he say to Israel when they came out of, of, of Egypt? He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And what does he say in this new creation? He says, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. Why? Because death has been destroyed. The lamb has come. The Messiah has come. He took the death that we deserved as a race so we could rise with him, not just spiritually now, new creation in Christ, but at the end of things, new bodies like his for a new heaven and a new earth. Death is gone because of what he's done. There will be no more death, no more mourning, crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything what? Yeah. New. So the story starts with shalom, ends with shalom. And here's the thing. Earlier in Revelation, John has a vision of heaven where he sees the lamb, like we sang today, the lamb, the lion lamb. He sees the lamb next to the one seated on the throne, the father. And there's a crowd around him worshiping the new people of God who've been rescued out of the old creation to become part of the new. And look what they're singing. He says, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy, they're singing to the lamb, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God members of every tribe, language, and people and nation and you have made them to be a kingdom and what? Priests. Priests. The story that starts in the garden with us being the one who rule and mediate between heaven and earth. The, the story of Israel that starts with you'll be a kingdom of priests. This is my vision. It ends with us being a kingdom of priests ruling over creation where we started the story. The story that starts in shalom ends in shalom. So this is the story. Seven chapters. Right? Creation. Rebellion promise, kingdom, king, new people for new creation. Now, that is a quick flyby. Like I said, like the Chronicles of Narnia, I mean, you could have a whole book on each one of these, these uh, chapters. But I think this is enough to set us up for rooted. We will come back to this story time and time again. But it's enough to set us up for where we're going and it's enough to help us begin to find our place in the story. So here's what I want to do now. I want to ask you two questions. There in your note sheets is a story of Shalom, two questions. Two questions. The first question is for those of us here, whether it's here today, you're over in the ridge, or you're watching online. The, story, the question is for those of us who have not yet made a decision to follow the king. 
So in a church like this, we have many different kinds of people, and some of us here, we're just checking out Jesus. We're not sure we buy into this story. We're not sure we believe the story, but something is drawing us. When we come, we sense God here. We're learning practical things. Life might be working out better for us, but we have not yet made the decision to step from one side of this story to the other. And so the question goes like this, have you started the story of Shalom? And here's what I want you to catch. This is the story. It's the story of our race, but you're either inside the story or outside the story. Now, of course, in one sense, you're always part of the story, but if you're not inside the story, you're on the wrong side of the story. Like, this story doesn't end well. It'd be kind of like being an orc. Like, you don't want to be on that side of the story. And so the question is, have you entered that story? Have you started the story of shalom in your life? Have you entered the story? It's interesting, when Jesus came, he launches his ministry in the north of Israel, and this is his message as he launches in Mark chapter 1. He says, the time has come, and the kingdom of God, what we've been talking about today, the kingdom of the heavens that Isaiah talked about, the kingdom of God has come near. He says, it's very close. He says, so here's what you need to do to become part of this kingdom to enter into the story. He says, you need to do two things. You need to repent, and you need to believe. Two very different things. It's possible to believe and not repent. You have to repent. So what does it mean to repent? To repent means to turn. To repent means to say, I am turning from my rebellion. I've been on the wrong side of the king. It means to bow the knee. How do you know I've been studying a lot of Roman history uh, the last few couple years? And during the glory days of Rome, the days of Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar, and during those days when they would conquer a barbarian tribe out maybe in Gaul, which is now France, the king of, those, of, the, of, the, of the, uh, the barbarians would have to come and present himself to the Caesar. And when he would come, he would have to get on his knees and then go prostrate before the king and say, I acknowledge your authority. And then the king would raise him up for the judgment. This is what's at the heart of becoming a follower. We recognize that we are a rebel. We recognize that we are under judgment. And so we come and we bow to the king and we ask for his mercy. And the good news about this king is that that king will always raise you up. And not only will he forgive you for your rebellion, he will invite you to be part of his family. And then he will breathe his resurrection life into you and restore you to the person you were created to be in the image of God and begin a process of transformation by the power of his resurrection life in you to become the person you are created to be to, become, to play an important role in the story of shalom, to become part of his forces to bring shalom to a broken world. And so the first part is repentance, but the second part is believing. And of course, in order to come and repent, we have to believe, we have to trust in the goodness of this king. We have to trust in his promise that he will forgive us 
And we have to trust that he does know best and we will follow him. And so we repent and we believe and we enter the story. And so this weekend rooted, when you get to day five of this week, some of us are very close there right now, that they'll, walk, they'll talk you through this, how to become part of the story. But if you don't want to wait, I'm going to give you a chance today, but not right now. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to think about this, and then in a couple of minutes, when we finish, they go to time of prayer, I'm going to give you a chance to give your life to the king and enter the story. Now, number two, the second question is for those of us who are followers of Jesus. We have given our life to Christ. We have bowed the knee. We have entered the kingdom. And the question goes like this, are you living the story of shalom? Are you living this story that we've talked out today? One of the things I mentioned last week is that the way you tell the story influences the way you live the story. If, you're, if you have an epic vision for your life, you will live an epic life. If you have a small vision, you live a small life. That how we see the story and the vision determines how we live the story and the vision. So for many of us here, the story that we heard when we first came to Christ, and thank, so thankful that someone shared it with us, but the story that we heard went something like this. Now, you, the way the story was told you may be a little bit different, but I think it's be very similar to this. For many in this room, here's how the story went. You are a sinner. Check. <laughs> Jesus died for your sins. Check. If you trust him and ask him into your life, you'll get saved, and you'll go to heaven when you die. Check. We're in. Now, I'll be very clear about this. Is there anything wrong about that story? Is there anything untrue about that story? No. Are we sinners? Yes. Did Jesus die for our sins? Yes. If we accept him into our life, will we live forever, go to heaven or a new heavens and new earth? Yes. Nothing wrong with the story. But what I'd suggest is it's not a very compelling story. It misses the beauty. It misses the grandeur. It misses the scope. It misses the challenge. It misses the adventure. It's not a very compelling story. Let me give you an example. We started the day with the story of a little person named Bilbo. And so probably most of you recognize that story. What's the story? Okay, well, most of you over here, guy. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, so probably most of us recognize us as Lord of the Rings, right? And so let's say that you have never heard the story of Lord of the Rings. You've never read the book. You've never watched the movie. You haven't seen the trailers for the movie. You don't know anything about Lord of the Rings, but you know it's very popular. And so you come to me and say, Michael, hey, uh, I know that you've read Lord of the Rings, I know you love it. Could you tell me what the Lord of the Rings is? And I told you the story. I said, yeah, it's about this little short guy named Bilbo. And, um, and he's a hobbit. And, uh, and so they, uh, he discovers this ring, and um, it's a magical ring. He passes it on to his nephew, and he discovers it has more power than he thought, and that the fate of the world kind of depends on this ring. And so he goes and destroys the ring and saves the world. And if you were there listening, you're saying, 
that's the story of one of the most famous stories in the world that has sold millions and millions of copies and made millions and millions of dollars. That's the story? I say, yeah, that's the story. And if you are there and you love Lord of the Rings and you're hearing me tell the story, you're gonna be jumping in going, that's not the story. You gotta tell them about Bilbo. You know, you gotta tell them about the hair on his feet. You know, you gotta talk about second breakfast. You know, you've gotta talk about the prancing pony. You gotta talk about his friend Sam Ganges, who travels with him. You gotta talk about meeting Strider, who turns out to be Aragorn, who is like the descendant of a line of kings that's gonna restore the kingdom. You gotta tell them about the forged sword. What happened to Legolas the elf? What happened to Gimli the dwarf? What happened to the mines of Moria and the misty forest and Lothlorien? What happened to Rivendell? What happened to Elrond, the king of the elves? What happened to Saruman? And what happened to orcs? And what about the Balrag? You are missing. What about the ants? You are not telling the story. You are messing up the story. That is not the story. And you would be absolutely right. It's not that the other story was wrong. But it's that you are missing the story. And men and women, there is a reason why the Lord of the Rings has been one of the most popular stories of all time. And the reason it's a story of height and depth, it's a story of rivers and streams and crossings and mountains. It's of great battles and great warriors and wizards and hobbits, and loyalty, and treachery, and danger, and risk, and courage. It is an epic story. And as a race, we are drawn to epic stories because we were created to live in an epic story. And can I tell you something? The story of God, the story of Shalom, is not only more epic than Lord of the Rings, it is true. And this is our story. And so the question is, which story are you living in? The bigger our story, the bigger our lives. Like a goldfish that grows to the size of its container, we grow to the size of our story. Which story are you living. And so in Rooted, we're going to be studying this story. And we're going to be studying about this God who not only loves us, a God who speaks, a God who wants to speak to us and how we learn to hear his voice. And we're going to learn about hard times and what to expect in this fallen world as we journey through and battle through. And we're going to learn about the spiritual warfare that we are in and how the king has come to set us free from the powers of darkness and to break spiritual strongholds in our lives. We're gonna learn how we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. We are gonna learn that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We're gonna learn that there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. We are resurrected people. We're gonna learn that we have died to the past. We have risen with Christ and it's time for us to rise up and be who we are. This is our story. 
We are gonna learn there's an epic calling on our life. We're gonna learn that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, we not only receive his forgiveness, we not only receive his spirit of resurrected life, each of us is divinely equipped to fight the battle with spiritual gifts. And that there's a calling on our life, both in the community of the new people of God and out in the creation. We're gonna learn that as followers of Jesus, we join him in his kingdom to be the light of the world and to bring shalom wherever we go. We're gonna learn that our resources come under his leadership. We're gonna learn that we are the messengers, that if no one else shares the story, the story won't be told, that we join him in telling the story. And we're gonna study this kingdom, this new people of God that will reign for him forever and understand the incredible privilege we have to be part of this new community. And so my prayer over this is the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter one. He says, I pray that uh, the eyes of your heart would be opened so you understand the truth. I pray that God would give you a spirit of revelation. Why? That you may know the hope of your calling, what the new future is about. That you may know the inheritance of God's people, this new people for the new creation. That you might know the incredible power of the resurrection that's available to you. I'm praying over you that God would open the eyes of your heart. You could rise up and see who you are. So men and women, we are going on a journey. And now I can tell you, now you understand why I started with a warning about spiritual warfare. There is an enemy that wants to hold you down. There is an enemy that wants you to believe the lie about yourself he's been telling you your whole life. The lie that you are less than, that you're not good enough, that there's nothing special, that your life is boring, it's gonna be that way. The life that you, you cannot be forgiven, you cannot be used. And we we're gonna break down those lies. And like the Apostle Paul said, he said, we are tearing down strongholds against every thought that goes against the knowledge of God. And that's what this series is about, to tear down strongholds. And so may the Lord be with us, and may he shepherd us. And the question I want to leave you with is, which story are you living? Let's pray together. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give you a chance to respond to this message. I want to talk, first of all, to those of you who are here that have not yet given your life to Christ. You've heard this story. And so now is the chance for you to say, I want in. And... If you want in, you understand now what it means to become a follower of Jesus. And what it takes, it takes repentance and belief and trust. Like Abraham, you listen and follow. And if you're here today and you sense God calling you to become part of this story, I want to give you a chance. I'm going to pray a simple prayer right now. And if this expresses the desire of your heart, I just ask you to pray along with me, your heart and your mind. God will hear and he will respond. Dear Jesus, I thank you for being the king. I thank you for your life and your death and your resurrection. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I bow before your leadership. I repent of running my own life. I ask you to fill me with your spirit and raise me up to be part of your kingdom to be part of your movement, to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. 
Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Uh, if you just prayed that prayer, first of all, I want to welcome you to the kingdom, whether it's here, over in the ridge, or online. And I, I want to invite you in now. I'd ask you to do something if you're here this weekend, that you would, inside your program, there is a little card called the Connect card. If you just fill out the front, and then on the back, just say, Michael, I, I asked Jesus into my life, something like that. And this week, I'll send you a letter of just some first baby steps as how to grow in your new relationship with Jesus. And then while our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to talk to those of us here who are followers of Jesus, and I want to ask you the question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What do you sense is going on in your heart right now? What does God say? What's he calling? What's the promise he's making you? What is the the new journey that he's inviting you to go on? What is the lie that he's challenging? I just wanna give you a chance now before the Lord and as we go into worship this last song, just to respond to him and to say yes and like Abraham, to listen and to follow whatever he's saying. Lord, we come before you and this is a big vision. And we, like your word says, our thoughts are not your thoughts. It's so hard. Without that help of your spirit, we cannot rise. It's hard for us to believe, and yet it's so true. Let's think what you say in Colossians about if you've been raised up with Christ from the dead, then seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Don't think on the things on this earth, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you'll be revealed with him in glory. There's more to us, Father, than meets the eye. Help us to embrace the reality that we have died and we have risen and to to rise with you. We bring our gifts, our offerings, as we worship you, this incredible creator. As we celebrate the story of Shalom, may you meet us now. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for the story of Shalom. The story that starts with the big God, the creator of a hundred billion galaxies and counting. A God who is powerful and brilliant, creative, who loves order and beauty and is completely good, who out of love creates not only creation, but the first king and queen to rule, to be with him to be his people, that they would be their God. And that when they rebelled, you set a dangerous and risky and painful plan into place to rescue that race. You became one of us, entered into time and space to launch your kingdom and to die to make the kingdom a reality, to rise so the new creation could start. And God, we pray that we would embrace that story and we would share that story and we would live that story and we would join with you to launch and expand that kingdom and to be the light of the world and to deliver shalom to a dark world until you come and create the new heavens and the new earth where we will reign with you again and dwell with you forever. And we pray, God, that this story would capture our heart and our affection and we would grow up 
like goldfish in a larger bowl, we would grow up to live that story. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and we pray your spirit will be poured out on this place, in this series, and in our rooted groups. We just pray that every week there be more. And we pray if warfare comes, that you would make us alert, and you would teach us how to put on our armor and to grow up and fight that battle, that we might take the land that you've set before us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen, Rocky P. Amen. As you go today, uh, don't forget, if you still need a book, let them know outside so we'll know how many to order. Uh, by uh, the side of our auditorium, both this worship center and the ridge, to my right and your left, there's prayer teams over there, badges on. If you, a prayer, you want prayer for anything, head over there. I'd love to pray with you. And until next week, may you live the story. May you rise up. May you catch a vision. May you, may you take steps. May the Holy Spirit open your eyes to see who you are and what you're created to be. May he give you great hope and great vision and confidence. May he be your life and your strength and your refuge. May you stand strong against the enemy. May you resist his attacks on your life. May you work out this rhythm of relationship. May you listen to what the Spirit is saying. And more than listen, may you follow. And as each step of the way, you become more and more the person you are created to be, a priest and a king and queen with our Creator. Amen? Amen. Amen. See you next week.